0: this new episode of Spheres of Influence. This is the podcast where we talk about those important spheres in our lives, religion, politics, and culture. I'm Dennis Sanders, and I'm your host. This time uh, today, we're actually kind of doing a um, kind of an after or um, kind of after interview of the interview, uh, basically kind of reflecting on last week's interview um, with reed howard um, and talking a little bit about the future of the gop and what does that mean Um, a lot of what the discussion we talked about um, made me think about some things and made me think also putting it in um, kind of thinking about it a lot in, in in relative to Party politics and moderation. What does that all mean in our day and age? Uh, But before we go any farther, um, I do want to ask people, um, one, to say thank you for those who have been listening uh, to these episodes. Um, I believe this is the 23rd episode. And um, I also want to say, um, if you have not yet, I would love if you would subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Um, also, that you would consider um, uh, leaving a review. Um, and you can do that, and again, on whatever platform. Um, and giving us a rating. Um, and you can even do both. Uh, that It helps a lot, kind of knowing what things need to be improved. But it also helps uh, for this podcast to be a more easily found. So if you can, if you've listened to this episode, please consider do uh, leaving a rating and also uh, a review and writing out a review. That would be incredibly helpful. I will be eternally thankful for you. Also, um, I think I have talked about this fact that we have, I've put a donation link in our show notes. Um, and I'm using the platform Buy Me a Coffee, and in some ways, I think that's the best way to um, kind of say that if you are interested or like what you're hearing, if this is something that you think should be supported, um, feel free to buy me a coffee. Um, and again, you can do uh, donate by going to the link that is in the show notes. So this week, what I wanted to talk about and um, will not be as long. The last few podcasts have been rather long. Um, this one probably won't be as long, but it will be rather meaty. And it's something that Reed and I were talking about and, and where Reed was on the kind of the question of what happens to those of us who are not uh, Trumpers? Um, do we leave the party and start a new one? Or do we become a faction? And um, a called American Renewal, um, this is kind of the new movement that is being uh, born, has kind of decided not to make a statement on either one. Um, I think that they're trying to see what they can do as a faction within the GOP, but they are also keeping it open to bolting the party if necessary. And talking with Reed, I thought it was interesting. He did um, share his preference um, for being a faction, and I always found that interesting because I feel like that's something that I struggle with a lot. Do we? Is it too late to save the GOP? But also, and and you know, that's kind of the question that sometimes we ask, and or. And I don't know if it's the right question. I don't know if it's that it's too late to save the GOP. I sometimes keep wondering, have we tried? Because I think sometimes the way that we talk about it, like whenever people talk about there's a civil war going on and immediately the answer is, well, the other side always already won. And I keep wondering, did the side that is opposed to Trump and Trumpism ever even put up a fight? And sometimes I don't think that they really have. I remember back in 2016 as um, Trump was winning primary after primary after primary, you know, one of the things that I remember um, um, Bill Kristol doing is he kind of decided to kind of put up this, I don't know, maybe joke account, Twitter account as a party, the Renegades Party, because I think someone talked about using the basically word Jewish Renegades or something to that extent. But I think what kept surprising me during that whole time um, was that there was never really an effective... um, opposition at all and you know again i think about bill crystal four years later when in 2020 trying to find someone that would run against trump in the primaries and having trouble finding anyone and the people who ended up running um, like bill weld or um mark sanford for a very very short time um, and Joe Walsh, just really never went anywhere. And the thing that I keep thinking is that if you're waiting to try to find someone in 2020 to run against Trump, it seems like it was too late. Like, the effective opposition should have been four years ago, or four years prior, in 2016. But there never seemed to be that movement that was able to try to resist Trump. And so I'm always kind of left wondering what happened. Why did things happen the way that they have happened? Um, Why was there no effective opposition? Why, in some ways, hasn't there been one? And can American Call for American Renewal be that effective opposition? And I keep going back to that thing. I, I don't think that the question is, is the GOP beyond saving? I think that that's the wrong question. I think the question is, have we tried to save the GOP? Because I don't think we have. What I think we have done is kind of to complain. We've, I mean, people have written tons of op-eds, and I've seen tons of, of Twitter uh, tweets that are written in disgust about where the GOP is headed, but I've not really seen anyone that has actually tried to mount an effective opposition that can really sit down and say, this is who we are. This is why we are fighting. This is why we are staying in the fight. Too often what I feel people do is get frustrated and just leave. And really in some ways seed the party and the argument over to the more radical folk. If you ever have the chance, this uh, a few days ago Politico did a really good write-up on kind of the change in the um, in J.D. Vance. And for those of you who don't know, he was the one that wrote Hillbilly Elegy about five years ago. I remember reading it. I thought it was one of the, the a really good book. Um, some people had called him the Trump whisperer and that he spoke from the people that were Trump supporters without being a Trump supporter. And... I think early on, you know, he was someone that I really admired. And I thought he really had, he had a chance within the GOP to bring something different and, um, something that could speak to, especially, um, probably lower class, uh, whites. And I think also others, but especially that, that grouping, um, and maybe provide an alternative to kind of the Trumpist, um, route. And so it has been, you know, with like a lot of people dismay to see where he has ended up. He's basically become a Trumpist. He is, there is good indication that he will run, um, in Ohio for a Senate seat. But when he, if he runs, he's going to be as a full Trumpist, um, and he's, you know, been on Twitter saying some things that I think four years ago none of us would have believed he had ever said. Um, and one of the things that that article said that I thought was fascinating was that if you wanted to get anywhere in today's GOP, it had to be as a Trumpist. And so is he making this decision basically because he's drunk the Kool-Aid, or is it because this is the easiest route to getting to doing what he wants to do? But either way, it it kind of begs the question, why haven't, haven't the side that isn't a Trumpist provided a competent alternative, an alternative that people would want? And I don't know why that is. I'm thankful to see people like Liz Cheney that have been out there and I think continually speak the truth um, to a party that's kind of gone its way. But I feel like we need to do more and I don't feel like we're doing enough. That We're not really doing enough to make a difference. And what I get at times, I think, from people who are anti-Trump or never-Trump, there's a part of me that sometimes feels like there isn't a sense of of seriousness. I think that there is people. There are people who are upset or and not pleased with where the party is headed. But I think there are people who don't care, or at least don't aren't willing to put in the work to really be anything more than a critic. And I feel like we need to have more than critics in this world. One of the theories, or at least not theories, but one of the things I always commonly hear all the time over the last maybe 20 years or so, and is something that I like to call the... um, underpants gnome theory of politics and of course if you are aware of south park you know what the underpants gnome theory is and it's usually the way that the underpants gnome theory goes is that there is one point to be made and then there are question marks and then it's solved um and in some ways i feel a lot of the the problem or the people who are critical of the party have this belief that either A the party needs to lose a lot or B the party people just need to leave the party and and vote for the other party and then it will collapse and that'll be it. And the thing is, over the last 20 years, I've never seen it happen. People have left the party. I mean, people over the years have left the party for various reasons. The GOP is still around. It's It hasn't become a rump party. I won't say that it is an overwhelming popular party, but if, if the numbers hold, they're going to take back the House next year. So... They're not leaving the party or, you know, hoping that they're just going to lose because you think you believe so isn't going to change anything. It's sort of a passive way of trying to change politics that if we just withhold um, participating in some way, if we withhold Voting for people, or if we withhold even um, acknowledging that we are Republicans or whatever, then things will just magically happen. The party will lose uh, and lose and lose again and um, or and or they will just become a rump party and collapse. And some people think that maybe if they lose enough, then they will see the light. Yeah. But what if losing isn't going to turn things around? Sometimes people can lose and that's kind of considered a badge of honor. What if that doesn't change anything? The Republican Party in four years went from controlling the White House and both houses of Congress to controlling nothing. And there has been no questioning about that. There has been no autopsy about that. Uh, People have come even to believe that the only way that the, the GOP is going to win is by sticking as close to Trump as possible, even though Trump has in many ways helped the party lose over and over again. So I don't think wishing that the party collapse or wishing that the party loses enough that they'll change their mind is going to do anything because in the end, it's just a wish and wishes don't change anything. I think we have to really, and this goes back for me, goes back to that whole thing about what to do, with the GOP. Political parties are in some ways essential institutions in a democratic society. Now I know some of the early founding fathers especially George Washington didn't think that political parties are were good, but I think as everyone ha- people have found out they give people a choice in who they want to govern or hold um other parties accountable and in some ways a political party is a gateway quote unquote great gateway drug into the political process so it allows people in a, in a liberal democracy the opportunity to to really influence public policy um, they can meet with politicians or even run for office under a political party. And so when that political party is functioning properly, it it should be able to form people into responsible citizens. So, of course, we know that the GOP is not a well-functioning party at all. Um, It is corrupt. I think it has become more and more undemocratic. But wishing that things will change is is basically wishing that things will change. It's not going to happen unless people do something. And so that's why I get back to the whole um, faction thing. Because the faction is in some ways a way of fighting within the party, fighting for the future of the party. Though it's not in the way that I think people want to think it will be. Because I think, we think it's a numbers game. And it's not, I don't think it is a numbers game. I think it's really more about leverage and who has it. And I think too often, those of us who are moderates or who are Trump-critical or anti-Trump really don't understand what leverage is all about. And I think what we have to, because as I said, we have a party that is not functioning well and that is incredibly undemocratic. And if we allow it to remain unreformed, then it's going to destabilize American democracy. So, what do we do here? I think that I go back and forth about the whole faction thing. And really for the reason of, uh, I think that a lot of people are. A lot of people who probably would be considered Republicans don't even want to affiliate with it right now because of the badge that it carries, which is pretty bad. But here's the thing. I think too often a lot of us, we we have this kind of almost dream about how politics works. You know, we don't want to... We want to think that politics is a game and that if we play this game right, Things will will work out. Instead of realizing that politics isn't a game, it, it it's really a marathon. It's it's long work. It's making sometimes temporary allies in one place and and breaking those alliances in others. It is kind of a not easy work, not an easy job to do. Um, which is why I think sometimes the road of factional being a faction within the party is so undesirable because in some ways, what it means is that you have to do this hard work, associate yourself sometimes with some of the crazies, um, all in order to make a stronger, um, I think stronger democracy, you know, the, uh, the, What I think a lot of people who are either kind of in my predicament, whether it's that they're a moderate or they're Trump critical, is that we start to kind of look for dreams. And, you know, I already talked about two dreams and the hope that the party will collapse or that losing will make them change their mind. Of course, there are other dreams that people want. You know, there is a dream for a third party. And you know, it's a possible possibility. I don't want to say that it's never a possibility in our society, but again, if you're gonna make a third party, it has to be you're gonna to have to spend some time doing it. It's not just gonna happen. Um, but I think sometimes the most realistic thing, the thing that's actually going to make change is probably working within a faction. And I know that's not what a lot of people want to hear. But I'm beginning to think that that's probably the way it's going to have to work. I've referenced this article a lot, um, and it's an article that initially showed up. It's it showed up in National Affairs and um, also from the Niskanen Center from um, Stephen Tellus and, and Robert Seldon, Sa- uh, uh, The future is Faction, and they are making the belief that um, in both parties but especially within the Republican Party the way to making change especially for moderates has to be through the parties Um, there really is no other way around it but the problem is of course is that for many moderates the game has been that there has to be something else something wrong with the American system itself that if we do this then things will change instead of actually taking the hard road that will pay off in time. I wanted to read a um, quote from there that I wanted to share because I think it's fascinating. And I think that it's really, a, I think in some ways, talks about never, the Never Trump movement, where we're at right now, and what we need to do. So let me just share this quote from that essay: "The future is faction. All prominent ideas for reform in our politics today presume that the way to elect more moderate legislators and hence generate more moderate governance is to change the rules of the game. To be sure, there is something clearly there is clearly something to the idea that the design of American institutions may be exacerbating political polarization." and that changing them would make it easier for moderates to compete. But the cold, hard truth is that moderates face a difficult, if not intractable, problem that institutional reforms will never be able to fully remedy. Even under optimal institutional rules, political outcomes are not determined by the mystical, disembodied medium voter so much as they are by the blood, sweat, and tears of committed partisan actors. In the american political system there are no shortcuts for the around the hard work of organization mobilization and engagement in the sometimes unseemly business of party politics to put it more bluntly moderates lose out to the quote unquote wingnuts because those on the ideological extremes to their credit actually do the difficult long-term labor that democratic politics reward showing up organizing and devoting themselves to building durable institutions for political and intellectual combat. Moderates, by contrast, have largely abandoned the field. Perhaps because they believe broader public policy is already on their side, they tend to think that the control of politics by these mobilized at the ideological poles is illegitimate. Hence, they look for ways to re- redesign the rules to allow the sensible but unmobilized middle to have its preferences, govern without needing to do the hard work of organizing for action within the two major parties. So that is the quote uh, from the Futurist Faction, and I think they're right. I don't want them to be right, but I think they are right. You know, the thing that changes things in politics is not, it's definitely not just thinking and hoping and wishing It's actually doing some hard work. And the thing is, is that the way that our party system works, there are just two parties. Now, granted, the two parties are really actually two more coalitions, but the way that we can get things done really has to be through working at the parties. And I remember something a few weeks ago hearing someone talk about this and, and getting involved, about the importance of getting involved in in party politics. And there's a temptation to just not be involved in, or to just give up because it's so frustrating. But I feel like, again, every time that I hear or read something by an anti-Trumper is that we don't, we basically want, we look at this basically as um, spectators. I think that's the best way to describe it. And so we're spectators in this sport. We are asking that these people, the politicians, make up their minds and do the right thing. But then we don't do anything to persuade the people or to put pressure on them. We just expect them to do the right thing. And then we're shocked when they don't do this. Because, of course, we never had them or held them to account. I think that one of the ways, that the only way probably that we're going to be able to try to defeat Trumpism isn't going to be from the outside. It's going to be from the inside. And that's hard for people to understand. It's hard for me to want to understand, but I don't I don't think sitting on the outside hoping people will do the right thing is going to make people um, do the right thing. You know, we look at people I you know people have been rather upset and I think rightly so with um, Congress representatives like Mike Gallagher. um, Gallagher is a representative from Wisconsin. He was pretty forceful on the day of the um, insurrection of the Capitol about what was wrong. But yet, when it came time to vote for some type of commission on this event, he voted against it. And there were lots of calls about that this being weak need, I think the same thing came with Nancy Mace, who is a who kind of was a critic early on of Trump, um, but kind of has since buckled down. But I think in both cases, you know, I think we have the right to be upset about that. But I also wonder, did we... Was there ever a move to do more than just bitch about it? Did we have people write letters urging them to support the commission? Did we do things that put pressure on these people? Because that's how the party politics works, is by, sometimes by persuasion, but sometimes by playing some hardball. But again, I feel like sometimes with Trump critics We don't see politics as a rough and tumble game that we need to do to get things done. What we do is that we see it as more of something that someone else does. We get to sit there, we get to kind of, and we we might be upset when they do the wrong thing, but we're not necessarily going to get up and do the work and be basically active participants. Um, Which is why, again, I keep coming back to the faction. And I think the faction is going to be hard because I think a lot of people, we've basically given up on the GOP. And there are days that I definitely feel like the GOP is done, or at least it's done in my book. But I sometimes wonder if that's the the way to go, if that's going to really change anything. I'm not certain anymore. I'm not certain that simply taking our ball and going home is going to do it. I think what's going to change is by getting our hands dirty. And so I also, I, I want to talk about, I think that this is the, the, the hard, but I think necessary way of doing things. But I also think it's the one that's not popular. Because let's face it, you're, you, you get a lot of sympathy from people if you say that you're a former Republican. You don't get a lot of sympathy if you're someone that's trying to work within structures within the current structure of the party. It's just that's the way it is. But I think the question is what's more important? Do we want to actually change the party or is this just for people a game? that kind of leads me to something that was written earlier this week. And I also actually heard it really on the radio, on the um, podcast first. And it comes from David Jolly, who was a former uh, GOP um, representative from Florida um, who has become involved in the serve America movement, which is kind of a quasi political party. And so he wrote something on medium and also on the serve America website about how a center new center right party won't work, um, and one of the reasons he says that is that there aren't the numbers. Um, people who are probably would be considered um, anti-Trump or Trump critical are tiny compared to those who have gone in for Trump. So since those numbers are tiny, it just doesn't make any sense to try. So his whole belief is that if you look at these, the figures of people who call themselves Republicans, people who call themselves Democrats, the largest faction these days, and probably has been for many years, it's been independents. And he kind of builds these people up that they reject party orthodoxy, they're not really interested in ideology They just want to find what works. And I wanted to tear my hair out. Because I think this whole belief, and I think this is something especially that has plagued um, kind of factions, moderate factions, um, and anti-Trumpers for years, is this belief that there is some magical group of people who are kind of pragmatists who are beyond ideology and who will find the solution and that there are all of these people there and that if we could just get them together everything will turn out fine and i have heard that argument for 20 years i've even agreed sometimes with that argument but every time that there is some type of organization or some type of thing that comes with this viewpoint it doesn't last long which then leads you to think are the in in the independents really independent and i would beg to say they usually aren't they are saying that they are independents and in some ways they probably don't want to quote unquote join a party But in many ways, they are closet partisans. They are probably even more partisan sometimes than the people um, who call themselves Republicans or call themselves Democrats. And so these people aren't the great independents that Jolly thinks that they are. Um, And so I think, like a lot of people, he's going to be putting his time into this belief that there are these magical moderates out there that all want to be independent and maybe creating some type of centrist or independent party or something and that if we just have basic pragmatism things will work out themselves out but i don't think again it doesn't work that way things work through the political process and political parties and you know sometimes it does mean that you're going to be working with people that you don't always agree with and sometimes don't even like you know we look back now i think i remember year um last year at this time there was of course the dust-up between um, um, joe biden um, and um, kamala harris about that he would sometimes have to would work with um, segregationist senators um, when he was first in Congress in the 1970s. And we look back at that as like, you know, how could you work with these people? But for him, this was what you did. This was politics. You worked to get what you can done. Because in the end of the day, that's how politics works. And I think that if we want to defeat Trumpism, the only way you're going to do it is by working in the system and doing the hard work and I don't think it's easy work but I think it's necessary work but I don't think that unless we're willing to take that time unless we're willing to take the long road then things won't unless we are willing to do that I don't think things are going to change And I think that that's the thing that I'm, I guess I'm trying to get at with the never Trump, anti-Trump, moderate, whatever you want to call us, is that I think we have to put in the work. I don't think that we can really afford to kind of just be on the sidelines and hector people for not doing a good enough job. I think that we have to get involved in various ways. And that means getting involved in politics. And politics is not always as glamorous as we like to think it is, nor is it as easy. I think it can be hard work. But if we think that we want to see a better society, a stronger democracy, I think that then we're going to have to spend some time and really work for change and it's not going to be glamorous, it's not going to get us on MSNBC, it's not necessarily going to get us liked by our more liberal friends. But I think that in the end, this is what's going to defeat Trumpism, is by working hard, is by not necessarily thinking that you're always going to outright win or outright even control the party but to get enough leverage to get enough to swing things your way. I think that many of us want politics to be kind of, I don't know, a very simple game. And I think that politics is in many ways like chess. And, which is funny because I'm not the world's best chess player, but... Chess is always about strategy. It's always about knowing what the move is going to be five moves down. It's, it's really kind of thinking about this in the long, long haul. And I think part of the problem is that we're, we are in a culture, but especially among those of us who oppose Trump and oppose Trumpism. We don't think in the long term, we think in the short term. And we don't think strategically. We think emotionally. I think that if we really want to beat this other side, if we really think that they are a threat, if we really want to make a difference, then we're going to have to get our hands dirty. I think that's the only way that things are going to change. Because the underpants gnome theory is not going to do that. There is nothing magical. There isn't any kind of magical independent. There is no magical method. The party isn't necessarily just going to collapse magically. Democracy happens because people are involved and are engaged. And engaged in the hard work to make things better. That really is the only way things can change. Well, that's it for this week. Um, hope that my rambling made some sense. Um, I will be putting some articles of note in the show notes um, that I hope that you will listen or uh, read. Take time to read. If again, um, please consider leaving a. Um, review or a rating on whatever platform you're listening to and um let me actually also put in a word for that if you are someone that um doesn't want to put too many minutes if you're using too much data um there are some services out there um like bullhorn where you can listen to podcasts without eating up um your data plan so just something that you may want to know but again I, I do hope that you can um, leave a rating or leave a, um, a review again that helps um, people know more about us um, also helps me to know what ways can this podcast be improved also um, please consider buying me a cup of coffee and i do love coffee uh there is a donation button uh that you will a link that you will find in the show notes consider um giving whatever you can whether that's a buck whether that's five bucks or ten bucks whatever um it'll be greatly appreciated so i don't have a plan yet of what's happening in the coming weeks um though i will try to work some things out um i am still working on some uh, podcast on Afghanistan, I do want to work on um, some work about um, retail. Retail um, is something that has been um, an interest of mine just because of the amount of um, hedge funds and private equity funds that have taken over um, retail outlets and how some of those have been, are no longer in existence and What do those head funds and uh, um, private equity funds, do they have an effect on on American retail? Uh, I am trying to work and and do some thoughts about um, what I want to do next for a religious um, podcast. I want to do some things about um, some issues, and I'm just kind of still doing some ruminating on that. So... Hopefully you'll hear what's coming up in the next few weeks. Well, thank you for listening. Um, it is good for people um, to see people who are listening. I see that our uh, downloads and listenings are, are starting to tick up, and that's great. I hope that they can tick up a little bit more. And um, hopefully I will do another podcast later this week. But for now... Uh, This is Dennis Sanders, the host. Take care and Godspeed.